Why is it we humans get romanced by complexity when the answers can be found at a simple and practical level? This is the Simply Practically Human podcast, where the human manager, Mark Labasque, features experts who have a track record in humanizing workplaces, using simplicity and practicality as their go-to approach. It's all about getting back to what it is to be human and watch workplaces thrive rather than just survive. Hey, it's Mark Labusk here for the Simply Practically Human podcast. And in this episode, I was joined by Gary Martin, who is the CEO of the Australian Institute of Management in Western Australia. And prior to that, and, and still working in the university sector and going all the way back to after leaving um, Kalgoorlie, where he grew up, has always been involved in education from primary school all the way through to adult education. And uh, today we spoke a lot about what Gary's passionate about is making workplaces better. And in particular, in these times of COVID-19, Gary shares his simple and practical tips for managers and organisations and also employees on, you know, some ways we can, and things we can be thinking about as we start to look, as we are, to transition back from remote work into working in the office again and what that might look like. And not only some people will, some people won't uh, go back into the offices, but just how managers should be looking at this as, first of all, an experiment that's been going on and how do we take the best things from this experiment and take them forward into our future, uh, what I call business unusual, whatever that might look like. So Gary's going to share some things around that. He also shares a little bit about the great work he's doing at the Institute of Management, the Australian Institute of Management, which has been in uh, WA for 60 years. And then he finishes off with a little bit of gold, which I loved, which is his thoughts around why social networking and the use of things like LinkedIn is so important to human beings. I really enjoyed this episode. Gary and I have been connected now for three or four years via LinkedIn. This is the first time we've had a chance to uh, to have a chat and uh, I'm sure you'll take plenty out of it. Enjoy. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Gary Martin, who is the CEO of the Australian Institute of Management in Western Australia and a workplace expert. Gary, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Mark. It's great to be with you. Hey, um, it's taken a while. I know um, I've followed you religiously on LinkedIn and um, I'm always intrigued at the quality of what you offer up around the workplace. And we're going to get a bit into that as we go through today. But I'd love if you could share with us a little bit about just the, the backstory of, of Gary Martin, sort of where you grew up and those earlier years, what you got up to. Yeah, we've got a lot of ground to cover there because um, I'm not a, a very young person, but if I take it right back, I grew up in a place called Kalgoorlie for a number of years, which was a mining town, and um, my dad was transferred there in his work, and then we came back to Perth, and uh, I grew up in Perth for many years. In fact, for all my life, I've actually been in Perth. I um, was a primary school teacher, so I went back to the country for a while. Um, before going into universities and in teacher education and then into adult teacher education. And then I got interested in in workplaces and how they worked. And then I ended up being uh, in university administration. So I lasted 21 years in a university before I started to want to pursue my interest in workplaces again. So that's when I came to the Australian Institute of Management here in Western Australia 
And uh, now I've been working with a team of people here to build workplace capability in all shapes and sizes. And that includes government, organisations, state government, federal government, local government, corporates, not-for-profits, charitable groups. So a real mixed bag, uh, but that's my passion. And just with that, so when you say it's your passion, is there any particular part of the workplace that you're most passionate about? Is there something there in particular? Uh, I'm really interested in how people behave in workplaces, individuals, but I'm also interested in really what bosses do in the workplace. And I call them bosses because they're not really Bosses is not really a term that I that I like to use, but everybody can relate to having a boss. But I'm really talking about leadership and management in uh, the workplace. And I like to look at good examples of leadership and management and not so good examples. But I also like to try and look at things from the average worker's perspective. And to do that, I'm assisted in, in doing that because uh, the job that I do as CEO puts me in touch with hundreds of people each week uh, that somehow are happy to share their workplace story. So I hear the the good, the bad, the ugly, and that gets me thinking about what I want to write about. And that's my passion is writing about it and then sharing that message with everyone. So just on that, just with the writing, I know I've, I've seen some of your articles. Who are you, who are you doing most of your writing for? What, what sort of? It's interesting because I always start off now thinking that a piece of work that I do is its ultimate audience is social media via, in particular, LinkedIn. But I write the newspapers as well at the same time, also do radio interviews. I've done some television as well. So when I write something, it helps me to prepare for posting it on LinkedIn, for potentially having it published by a newspaper, for a radio interview on the topic or even a television interview on the topic. So right across those platforms, really. Yeah, great. Just go back to that piece about human behaviour, something I have in common. Well, there's a couple of things. I was actually a primary school teacher a very long time ago as well, but and fascinated by human behaviour. In fact, I could sit in a foyer of a building and just watch people. Can you remember anything along the way that created that level of interest for you in the way humans behave? I think uh, being a primary school teacher, there wasn't a particular incident, but there was what I was quite fascinated with was people's different perceptions of what a good teacher was for a start. That really interested me because you could have uh, all sorts of different models of teachers and, you know, some parents like this approach and some like that approach and some kids worked well with one teacher and not with others. And and it all came down to me, it all came down to how you interacted with an individual Uh, and that had to vary according to the individual. So there wasn't a fixed way of dealing or responding to anyone, you had to sort of craft multiple personalities yourself to be successful. And so that's really where I became quite fascinated with how I might have to change who I am, not massively, but to interact with someone effectively and to take into account their personality as well. Yeah, it's, um, I think this is one of the greatest challenges of management or, or leadership or of being the boss is that we tend to get to a place based upon how we are. Yeah. So that's made us successful. And then all of a sudden we're, we're managing a whole lot of other human beings who are all slightly different. And, and I think the really good managers and the good bosses are the ones that can just adapt slightly in the moment to the person. That's right. That's exactly right. I mean, that's what fascinates me and you're ever ever learning because everyone is so different 
that every time you come across a new person, you basically have to learn how to interact and you've got to use your own strengths to interact with them for a successful type of a relationship. So, yeah, it's a fascinating area. Some people are good at it and some people are not so good at it. And I guess it's that point that helps me to start to write stuff because there are people that are really good at it, at interacting with others, and people less talented in that respect and everything in between. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and then let's overlay, which sort of gets us into the topic of today, but now let's overlay the pandemic and COVID-19 now over the top of, okay, I was managing away in my business, leading people, and then all of a sudden there's a crisis yes. that, that comes in. The level of challenge that that has put onto managers already. Have you been noticing anything in the work that you're doing in, in how managers are either changing for the better or maybe mm. changing for the worse at the moment? Yeah, that, look, that's a really tough question because um, I'm not exposed to as many managers and talking to as many managers and leaders as, as I would normally because of the virtual space, although I have had a lot of meetings on Zoom and, and other platforms. However, I kind of think we haven't done as well as we should in terms of managing people. A lot of people are actually working from home now mm. and uh, managing people face-to-face -face is quite different to managing people in the workplace when it's actually their home and ends up being the workplace. So when people are working from home, there's a different way of managing, I think, and I don't think we've done that particularly well. I think some people have done it well, but I think others have struggled with uh, moving out of that traditional way of, of managing people. And it's caused a few concerns for those working at home or working from home. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. I, I, I jump on these calls with a, a guy by the name of Dr. Richard Clayton and he's based in Hong Kong now. And uh, on a Tuesday, and last week we were speaking about that very thing around not just how managers are relaying to it, but how people in general who are working from home and there's a whole lot of things happening from what work can we do at home versus what work can't we do at home to even some people trying to impress even more the managers and the bosses by doing more yeah. at home and and then, you know, even after six weeks feeling a bit of burnout on that. Yes. And then at the other end there's the technology that some organisations are now putting into place to sort of be able to say, uh, well, Gary, you weren't logged on at 8 o'clock. Where were you today? So yeah. there's a whole lot of stuff going on. And we spoke before about the hope that this is starting to come towards its end. The way Australia has embraced the social distancing and, and flattening the curve and all of that type of stuff, the topic I know you're really passionate about is how do we actually transition back into work now? How do we start to get back from working from home into working into the offices and things like that? So what are you thinking about that? What's the best way going to be to transition, or maybe not the best way, but what are some things you're thinking about about transitioning back in? Well, I think for a start, there's going to be some people that actually don't go back yeah. to the workplace. That's an interesting one. There'll be people around the place that are trying to negotiate working from home on a, if you like, extended basis or not coming back at all. So there'll be a set of negotiations around that because some people have probably done it very successfully, other people less successfully, but it's actually suited people. People who thought they could never do it are suddenly turned around and saying, well, actually, that was pretty good. So I like to think of this whole working from home thing as a big experiment, basically, and for us to be able to, to learn from that experiment. 
And that includes our leaders and managers learning from that experiment also. So I think you've touched on it already. There's been um, some leaders and managers that have actually changed their whole personas with this working from home by saying, well, you've got to have your your camera on the whole time when you're working at home so I can see what you're doing. Or if they sent you a message and you didn't respond to it immediately, they were onto you about it. So there's been a whole pile of stuff about that. So if we can't see you, we can't trust you is the mentality that's actually been put out there by many of us. And I think that's been unfortunate. But I think what we need to do now is to say, well, for those that are going to continue to work at home, we've got to say our performance should be around output, the things that we've agreed we're going to get done and be able to deliver those rather than have our manager monitoring how we spend every minute of the day. And we do have to shift our viewpoint on how to manage if we're going to allow people to continue to work from home. So that's the first thing. I think people want to work at home more, uh, even if it's not permanently, but there are some people that are not going to go back at all. And that starts a whole range of other discussions. So just on that, if we get, I love that concept of experimentation. I think when I see organisations that work really well is that they see their work as a series of experiments. So I think this is a great experiment to let us know that maybe we should take a more of an experimental mindset as we, as we move forward into our business. There's another big piece here that I, I'm really curious on your thoughts on though. We are, in some respects, we're going to have to reframe how we look at trust here as well. Sure. What, what goes on in your mind around that, Gary, around one end where we just say we think everybody's doing the right thing versus at the other end we're monitoring them on getting on their keyboard at 8 o'clock in the morning. What's got to change around the trust contract, do you think? Oh, look, I think you've got to just try and get to a point now where if you have people work at home, you've got to let them get on and do it and manage performance like you would if they were in the office. If they don't deliver, they don't deliver. But as I said, I think what we've had is we've had cases where if they, you can't see someone, then they haven't been trusted. And then you've got other people that have had to go to extreme lengths and work hours and hours and hours and hours extra uh, to prove to their boss that they are getting on doing the job and that they're yeah. responsive. And that's not sustainable either. So you've got people that have gone out of their way completely and working 12 hours, 14 hours just to please the boss yeah. and they want the boss to trust them. And then you've got others that have just assumed that anybody who's working at home is not to be trusted. So we have to change our philosophy. The other thing I have to say too is we should be cutting people slack uh, during these times. This is not a typical working from home type arrangement and it's not typical because at the moment there are people working at home with kids. They've probably got a new co-worker that might be their partner sitting alongside them. Normally if people work at home they can actually go and have a meeting still at the local cafe. They've not been able to do that. So it is a big experiment and it can only get better because there are so many other opportunities for people when things go back to some sort of normal, whatever that is. Yeah. It's funny, you know, because uh, I've just my wife, Alison, she runs an accountancy practice and um, I, she looked at me before and I said, I've, I've got a podcast now. She sits just right across from me in our home office, but she's had to leave the room because we've also yes. got four dogs here as well. So they've all had to be taken somewhere else so we can't eat them. Now, you know, I'm not 
really thinking much about, if I'm honest, I'm not thinking much about what I've just interrupted her on mm. of what she's doing. So I think there's that going on. Surprises. What, what, what have been some of the surprises that there have been for those from, that are working from home, do you think, that pleasant or unpleasant? Yeah, well, the most fascinating thing that I've seen is as people have actually had to work with partners quite often, not always, there's a lot of people working at home alone, but if they've had to work home with their partners, what they've become aware of is that your work persona can be quite different to the person you are in the home. So you've got people that can be grumpy at home, around the house, and all of a sudden they get into work mode and they're the most polite, uh, well-mannered, considerate Clark Kent type person uh, who has made a complete shift in personality. You've also got those people that have got a work voice and they've got a home voice as well. So that's been a revelation to people around homes, to children and to partners when they've seen their mum or their dad or whoever doing business there. It's a different person. And I guess the really nice thing, though, is that we've seen people who have been working at home suddenly have shot up in terms of respect yes. of those in the family when they see the sort of jobs that they do, they've suddenly got a new sense of respect and admiration for you know their loved ones because of some of the types of jobs that people have been doing uh, recently. So it's quite fascinating for people to see their families at work. It really is, I think, and learning a lot more about people when they're put into a role. And there's good reasons too why people change their personalities slightly in a workplace. I mean, it's only an issue if you have to pretend the whole time that you're completely someone else, but, you know, modifications to your existing persona to uh, work better in a workplace is to be expected. There's two things that come out of that. Thanks for sharing. One was that I just interviewed Nigel Marsh, who, who had the TED Talk on work-life balance many years ago, just this morning for the podcast. And he talked about that need at times, that energy you've got to use to be someone totally different. And that just takes up too much energy. It does, yes. And, and the second thing, which I think is really important that organisations, managers, bosses shouldn't forget when we go back to business unusual, as I call it, is this isn't the standard working from home arrangement at the moment. It's not. So we've got to be really careful if we start to baseline something against, you know, homeschooling. And the other thing is, is just the mental challenge of not being able to maybe go and visit other family members and or elderly parents or whatever it might be, how those things are playing on, on people. And one thing that I'd love to get your thoughts on, because I heard this again last week, was that there are the few, I call them, as in the managers in businesses who are starting to already make lists of what we're going to be able to do from home and what we can't do from home. The great challenge, I think, there, Gary, is that there's a potential that they don't listen to the many who are experiencing it. Yes. What advice would you be giving to management and leadership teams at the moment about how they approach what can and can't be done from home? Yeah, I, I think you have to go back to what you've just said. You shouldn't be judging someone's at-home performance based on uh, being in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, there's no question about that because this is, as you say, not a normal type of situation. If I was working at home tomorrow, then I would have the house to myself, I would spread out and have the table, I'd have everything there. I wouldn't be doing anything else but work because I could. With people at the moment, they've got children, they're homeschooling at the same time as they're 
doing their work. They're changing their work structures, so they might be getting up earlier to start work earlier uh, and then going to bed a lot later to finish work because during the day they've had other sorts of things. So I don't think you can make any lists at the moment about what you can do and what you can't do in a working-from-home type of arrangement just at the moment because we haven't really got a typical type of situation. What, what I do say is that, again, it all comes back to someone's preparedness to be able to accept that you, we shouldn't be monitoring people on a minute-by-minute basis when they are working at home. And if you are able to set up an arrangement where uh, you agree on what's going to be achieved over a week or over a two-week period of working at home, that's a far better arrangement than having to monitor every single second uh, that takes place in someone's work environment. So if they get up and start work at four in the morning and they're finished by 12, that should be okay, provided everything gets done. Yeah, I like that. And um, I think I hope that that would be one of the things that comes out of this experiment is that we can actually find, though I'm finding at the moment, it's it's a bit weird, but between 4.30 and 6 a.m., I've I've woken up and I've gone and done an hour and a half's work and I almost feel like that's it for me. For the I've done what I need to do. Unfortunately, I can't record podcasts at that time, so I need to do different things. But even when people can do their what we call their deep work, it mm. might be at different times. And if that's beneficial for them and for the organisation, uh, the experiment is what will happen if people work what we call strange hours from now on. So I think things like that are useful. Does that matter? I actually think that it's all about people's flexibility. So I know people working at home now who have been available early in the morning and late at night because during the day they spent two hours with children or two hours doing something else with a relative. So they've been able to uh, have that flexible time. So as long as that flexibility is two ways, it should work very well. We know that we can use technology now to work from home a lot better than we have in the past. And I still think there's just one thing that we've learned It's actually that we can do Zoom conferences, we can use technology, we don't have to actually be in an office to keep things going. Yeah, I like that. And um, talking to some clients last week, you know, they come from all around Australia and they get together and they still are going to do that, but they've actually worked out that there's a significant cost saving for them to reduce the amount of time that they do this. So, you know, the the good that's coming out of this is, is potentially some cost savings. And if you can save costs, you can keep, hopefully you can keep more humans in your business, which is what what we're trying to do. Well, there's cost savings and it's a health issue as well. Okay, if you get me started on one of my favourite topics and I say it's a health issue, can you imagine going back to work in an open plan office just at the moment? (laughs) I mean, will we ever go back and work in open plan offices as we used to know them? They've got to be modified. So if you think about open plan offices, some people believe in them because of the collaboration and, you know, the networking and ideas generation. That's fantastic. But when we go back into those offices, we're going to be telling people, don't have a different desk each day, stay in that part of the office, here's some petitions, because there are health issues. So not only keeping people at home from time to time might save office space, but it'll be good for our health. Absolutely. So I think that's a great point that you raise around open plan. I I left the corporate area six years ago and I sort of missed 
with the organisation I was with, Australia Post, who went to Open Plan, and not just talking to people from there, but talking to people from other places, the sell of collaboration, getting to meet more people and all this sort of thing. Some of that I call window dressing for what was really going on. And I, I get this. We were trying to reduce a bit of real estate footprint. But there's something in this for me too, as, as we do transition back in, and I'd love your thoughts on this, is we've got to tell people the truth. Mm, sure. So as we transition back in, what are your thoughts around, you know, making sure we're telling the truth versus maybe trying to make up a story we think people will buy or want to hear? Uh, look, I think we don't have any choice now, but when we go back into the workplace to take all the precautions that we need to space people out, hand sanitizer, better use of technology, surfaces that don't hold germs and bacteria as well. All those things people are expecting now in our workplaces. So you might say that six months down the track, we'll all go back to normal and uh, we'll be sitting shoulder to shoulder with the person next door would be hot. Now, I don't think we can no. because people are far too aware of the health issues. And it might not be COVID-19. It could be your flu or a gastro bug or something like that. People shouldn't be so confined and they're going to expect they want to be spread out and far more aware of hygiene issues. And what about the days of old mate me turning up to work with 13 hankies in my pocket, sneezing, coughing all over the place? What are you thinking about those days? Yeah, uh, well, that's uh, where something called sick shaming comes into its element. It's already started in workplaces. I mean, there was a while back when people used to go into a workplace sick and they were seen to be a real hero for doing that. If you go into the workplace sick, it's so you can carry on, keep things going, not let the team down. If you do that now, you're going to be shamed um, for going in because it's not a good thing to go in sick. So I think we're going to see people no longer going into the workplace sick and staying home if they're sick and maybe that they're working from home if they're sick. But seriously, if you are sick, you should be taking sick leave. And I think there's a role for everyone to play in this because what I used to see a lot was particularly managers would turn up and they're a bit sniffly and a bit crook because they just felt like yes. they needed to be there to, to steer the ship and all that. The ability for everyone now in that organisation, regardless of rank and title, to say, hey, Mark, you're a bit off, mate, at the moment. You need, you need to go home. It's not like yes. the hierarchies go away. I wanted to ask you about, I've got this thing, I call this a Simply Practically Human podcast because I have this personal challenge around complexity and simplicity. And I, I, I believe... A lot of the times we humans are romanced by chasing a really complex way to fix things because simple seems too simple. It's like it's obvious and we need to find a better way. Why do you think it is that humans tend to gravitate towards complex and trying to come up with the next big thing? Um, I think a lot of people trying to do that, I see it every day, in fact, they want to come up with the next big thing because we tend to judge people on achievements, people want to achieve. And if people want to achieve, they want to achieve big things in their eyes. And so they're always looking out for the next big thing. And uh, that is going to come with a kudos to them. People are very achievement oriented. So they're always looking out to improve. And I don't think that's a bad thing. The, the thing along the line is that sometimes doing that can actually be the reverse and you can make things so complicated 
that they're not going to be used or they're not going to work, basically. If, even if you go back to an open plan office, people are looking for the next big thing in office innovation. So they came up with all of these sorts of things. And now we're starting to say, well, there's some good in those open plan offices, but there's some precautions that we need to take as well. And by making things totally complex, we sometimes unravel some of the good things that we do. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And, um, you know, someone on this podcast once said that actually Paul Ruse, I think Paul might have done some speaking with you at one stage. Um, yes, did, I had him yes. on a couple of weeks ago and he he just talked about back in his days of coaching the Swans in particular where he said, I just tried to keep it really, really simple because simple. complex was hard to follow for people. And uh, I think that's a great lesson. Hey, tell us a little bit about the Australian Institute of Management and WA. What, what is it that the organisation is helping businesses with? Um, we're over 60 year, years old in, in Western Australia and we are all about building better workplace capability and that might be through training, it might be through thought leadership, it might be through recognising exemplary leadership and management, say, in, in workplaces around the state. So what we're trying to do is trying to make people more capable in the workplace and we, as I said, we do a number of different things. That might be from in our training space bringing people from Harvard to Western Australia so that people can access that talent. It might be running an open program here with 10 people doing a course on emotional intelligence. It might be a membership type event with 140 people or the sort of thing that we run every year, which is our summit uh, where we gather people from around the state and overseas, in fact, and we have a one-day leadership summit which focuses on all different aspects of leadership and we bring in speakers, including some of those that you've already spoken about, uh, to present to people. So we never take the view that a one-size-fits-all type of model. We have a lot of different initiatives to help to build leadership, management, workplace capability. And the interesting thing is we're catering for people in CEO roles through to executive roles, through to supervisors, to even working with people that don't even know that they want to lead yet, but we're trying to inspire them to take on leadership roles. So a real mixed bag, but it's very exciting, you know, working with such a range of people. Mm, that was going to be my next question around the sort of breadth across an organisation and through the sort of hierarchies and structures, but I think that's a great thing because at times, I love that last one you said, some people actually don't know how good they are at already demonstrating leadership until someone points it out to them. They're like, oh, it's just my job. And I think all of the, I remember when I went through 20 odd years of development in the corporate world, I used to love going to anything that would help me to, to get better. And, and I think I learned along the way, stuff started making sense. I'm like, hey, I do that. Yes. And I just learned that from Gary. And he said, that's a good thing. I better keep doing that. And I better stop doing this other thing that's not working so well. Let's just finish with you then. So I reckon after this today, and it's like me, I, I, as I said, I've followed you for a long time and I'm, I'm so glad we're talking now, is if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Well, I'm on a social media LinkedIn platform and every day I'm on that platform pretty much and I respond to messages via that platform. In fact, that's how we met, Mark, through acting through that platform 
However, people can contact me directly in in uh, Western Australia. If you go to our website, amwa.com, then you'll find my email address there as well. So lots of different ways to contact me. But I am on that platform, LinkedIn, every day. And I normally post something every day and I try to get back to everyone that sends a message to me. And for those people that don't know, I, I know that you are one of rated as one of the top voices on LinkedIn. So you, the, the amount of I think this is a great lesson for people. The amount of effort you put into these platforms to share your ideas, and I, and I know your stuff is done very much for the good of others because when, when I read it, I'm like, that's helpful for me. Some people sort of have this view that I need, I'll go on there every now and again, Yeah, but I'm not so sure about that. I've actually learned a lot right from the beginning. First of all, I just had a profile like everyone else and never, never used to do anything with it. It just used to sit there and I thought there's got to be a better way. Uh, and then I started to post a few things and people were responding and so I thought, well, this is pretty good and it's great to have this sort of discussion. But I hadn't I hadn't even thought, well, maybe I should respond to them as well. So then I learned that I have to respond to people. I had a lot of people making comments on stuff that I'd written and I thought that was fantastic and then I was responding back. And then I thought, maybe, Gary, you should respond to some things that they've written. So that was the next yeah. step in my evolution and then it all sort of falls into place after that. One of the things I find really interesting is that a lot of people who are in CEO roles don't touch any social media and they say, well, that's not my job. But for me, social media and putting out what I think about issues and getting other people to talk about leadership management issues is a big part of my job. Yes. We try and get people to think about leadership uh, management workplace issues with a view to building the capability. So I've made it a part of my role that every day I do interact with people on social media and every day I try and post at least something on social media. Yeah, and look, I think just to finish, as a species that craves connection, you know, we can get face-to-face connection, which is challenging at the moment, so we find other ways. LinkedIn's a great one. You know, we're using technology better, as, as you said. And then to overlay that with, we will get back into the workplace at some point in time. I just wanted to say thank you very much for coming onto the podcast. I think you've provided some really, really practical and simple tools and tips today for managers who are thinking about how they transition back into the workplace for their themselves and their people. It's been great to finally speak to you. It's been a few years that we've been sort of interacting on LinkedIn, but we've built, a, I guess, a relationship to the point now where We've taken it to this level. So thank you very much, Gary. Pleasure, Mark. It's taken us a pandemic to to get together. (laughs) It's taken a pandemic for us to be human. There you go. Finally got to eyeball Gary, even though it was across a Zoom call. He's based over in WA. But some of the things that I took out of today, particularly around, he mentioned something which was interesting called sick shaming and moving away from this crazy notion, you know, pre-COVID where people would turn up to work sick and feel like that they had to be there and it was almost like a badge of honour, that as we start to transition back into the workplace and we'll have some constraints around, based around health, what we can do, it's important that maybe we don't shame people, we just remind them not to come into work sick. He also talked about different perceptions of good, particularly in and around managers thinking about what's a good manager look like, what's a bad manager look like, and how as managers do we start to manage in a better way when we look at individual humans as individuals and not sort of all roped into the one one thing. He shared some of the things that he's picked up around the challenges of working from home and some of the experiments that we have tried and some things have worked and some things haven't. Just 
to be really, really understanding in this time that what working from home looks like now is nothing like what we said working from home was pre-COVID times. We've got things like homeschooling going on. There's a whole lot of other stuff happening. And it's not realistic to think that we should be starting to make up the rules about what the new working from home looks like based upon some sort of crazy idea that this is what it'll be like all the time because, you know, things will change as, as we get through this pandemic. I really enjoyed this episode. If you did, and if you liked it, why not rate it five stars? And if you loved it, share it with your friends and uh, encourage them to subscribe to the podcasts. But until next time, keep it simple, keep it practical, and keep it human. Bye for now. <laughs>